This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Page 47 We're up to letter 4 And this is the annual appeal, Alter Rebbe would send out an appeal to his Hasidim for the tzedakah to support the Hasidic group that moved to the Holy Land, Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Haradak, with a whole group of Hasidim, which the Alter Rebbe himself initially joined, and then left when they reached the border, the Turkish border. He went back. He was told, told to go back, and he went back. And he took upon himself to support this group, a group of families. There was nothing to sustain yourself in the land of Israel then. You're talking about the 18th century. And uh, it was only by the tzedakah, the goodwill, the charity of the Jews in Russia. Well, they themselves were a very poor community. So the Alter Rebbe every year like send an annual appeal letter. But his appeal letters look a little different than our appeal letters. Our appeal letters is a sob story and send you money and we'll give you a tax receipt. Now, Terebi's letters was like the letter we just finished reading, the last letter, filled with the deepest concepts of Hasidus, explaining a verse, explaining a passage of the rabbis from the Talmud, explaining it in depth and how it relates to our personal service of Hashem. And ultimately, leading up, the climax was, and this, all of this you accomplished, we're giving tzedakah, so therefore take out your checks and give, write, your, write your, and give tzedakah. The guilty feeling is... What? The guilty feeling is... There. Not guilty, not guilty, no, on the contrary. The guilt feeling is what you get from our letters. Now, the Rebbe's letters, you were so inspired, where, where do I sign, where do I write, please? And the Hasidim, it was so ingrained in the Hasidim, that giving tzedakah, that once a chassid, if he, if he did a good business deal and something went unusually well, sometimes it happens in business. You do something and unusually successful, he says, okay, I already know. When I get home, there's, there's going to be a letter waiting for me to give tzedakah. <laughs> if Hashem gave me such a blessing, surely it's not just for myself, but it's in order to give tzedakah. It was so ingrained in the chassidim, Al-Turebi ingrained in them. He educated them. Chabad is education. Education, 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 wisdom, understanding, knowledge. You educate it. You motivate, you educate, you make people aware until they want to do the right thing. Not only do they do the right thing, you don't have to twist their arm. They're so inspired that tzedakah became etched into their being. It became part, an essential part of a Jew's life. So this is a letter that Alter Rebbe wrote, this Hasidim. And it's based... And what the rabbis say, more or less, this is a quote from Maimonides, 
in the laws of giving gifts to the poor, which is a variation of a quote of the Talmud in Tractate Shabbat and in Tractate Sanhedrin. Ein Yisrael Nigolin, the people of Israel will not be redeemed only with charity. Ein Yisrael means they show the literal translation. They will not be redeemed only through charity. Ein Ella, not, no other way, only through. It's to emphasize, not only they'll be redeemed, they won't be redeemed any other way but through charity. It's, it's a much stronger emphasis. It's not just an option. You could be redeemed through charity, but there are other options. Says, no, there is no other option. The only way to be redeemed is through tzedakah. The actual quote in the Talmud is, En Yerushalayim, Nivda, Ela B'Tzedakah. But the Rambam says, En Yisrael, the Jewish people, not Yerushalayim. And he said, Nigalin will be redeemed. doesn't say will be ransomed, will be redeemed. Only through Tzedakah. Because it says, V'Shaveha B'Tzedakah. Now, the Rebbe only quotes the last end of the Pasuk. The complete entire Pasuk says, Tzion b'mishpatipada, Zion will be redeemed through mishpat, through justice, when justice will return, when the Jewish people will act justly, they won't be corrupt, but they'll act justly and honestly, then Zion, which refers to Jerusalem, will be redeemed. Veshavea so there's two, and Veshavah means, and those who return, this is referring to the Jewish people. The Jewish people will be redeemed through tzedakah. What does it mean the Jewish people will be redeemed through tzedakah? So some commentators say that here tzedakah means just like mishpat, righteousness. We're not talking about literally financial tzedakah, taking, giving money to charity. We mean mishpat is justice and righteousness. That when justice and righteousness will return, and Jewish people will act justly and righteously, as then Zion will be redeemed and the Jewish people will return. But but the Rambam clearly learned that it means tzedakah, literally tzedakah. There he's talking about the laws of the gifts of the poor. We're not talking about righteousness, a court, a judge acting righteously and justly. He brings this in the laws of tzedakah. And he says the Jewish people will be redeemed through tzedakah, literally through giving financial tzedakah, giving, helping someone in need. That's why the Alter Rebbe doesn't even bring the first half of the verse. To emphasize, we're talking about two different things. You may confuse. If he brings the first half of the verse, you may be confused, because it's talking about mishpat, justice. So you may misinterpret that tzedakah also means righteousness. So he just brings no. How will those who will return to Zion, referring to the Jewish people, how will they be redeemed? And they will be returned returned back home through tzedakah, through financially giving tzedakah. Israel shall be redeemed only by virtue of tzedakah, as it is written, and her repatriates shall be redeemed through tzedakah. Tzedakah, whose root connotes both righteousness and charity, thus brings about the redemption of the Jewish people from exile, and their ultimate return to Zion. The same root appears in the next verse to be quoted. It is written. It says in Psalms. Tzedek shall go yahalech before him. Now, one should have expected the verse to say yelech. Yahalech, by contrast, is a causative form of the verb, seeming to imply that righteousness or charity causes some other entity to go before him. If it's referring to tzedek itself, that righteousness will go in front of him. 
It should have said in the Hebrew, Tzedek, Lefanov Yelech. We'll go in front of it. But it says, Tzedek, Lefanov, in front of Yehalech. We'll make someone else go. So what does this mean? What could this possibly mean? And now he's going to explain, A, the first statement, why the only way to redeem the Jews will be through tzedakah, through giving tzedakah, and why tzedakah has the power to cause something, pun of Yehalech to go before you. What does this all mean? This concept may be understood by considering the verse, in your behalf my heart says, seek my face. As Rashi explains it, the simple meaning of the verse is that on your behalf and as your messenger, my heart tells me to seek out your face, i.e. God's inwardness or innermost essence for the, for the word samim is related to both meanings face and interior. And in this spirit, the verse concludes, you countenance God who I seek, i.e. I'm indeed this is from Psalm 27, Le David Hashem Oiri, which we say in davening from Rosh Chodesh El till Hashem Rabbah, we say in davening. David Hashem Oiri. You Hashem will be my light. Psalm 27. And the verse says, Lecha Amar Libi. It actually explains, Lecha for you on your behalf my heart tells me my heart acts as your agent and tells me on your behalf your message it gives me your message what is your message that Hashem is asking pleading with us please search for my face and I listen to my heart's message and the verse concludes as indeed I search your face that's how Rashi learned the difficulty with this explanation is that the second half of the verse should not have repeated Hashem's name. It says, Lecha, in your behalf, meaning Hashem. Amalibi, my heart is telling me on your behalf, delivering your message. What is Hashem's message to us? Bakrufane, search my face, seek out my face. So we should have concluded. As panacha, and as a result, I'm going to listen, heed this message, I'm going to listen to this message, to your message, I got your message, and therefore, as panacha, your face, avakesh, I will search out. Why does he have to repeat, why does he have to say, l'chomli bakshu as panacha Hashem, why do you have to say Hashem's name? We're, we're already referring to Hashem, you just said, l'chomli in your behalf, Hashem says, my heart tells me in your behalf, a message from Hashem, search me. It's all referring to Hashem. So you should have concluded, and I'm going to listen to this message. I'm going to take it to heart. As panacha avakish, I'm going to search you. Why do you have to say, as panacha Hashem avakish? So therefore, the Alter Rebbe learns, shot differently, the Alter Rebbe learns that the first half of the verse is not referring to Hashem. L'cha malibi. To you, my heart is saying, search out my inner, the inner part of the heart. Which my heart is communicating to myself. My heart is telling me, seek out the innermost part of the heart. 
Don't stay stuck on the external part of the heart. Everything in life is an external. And there's the inner. There's the body and there's the soul. There's the surface and there's the inner. So my heart is telling me. To you, my heart is saying, seek out the inner part of the heart. So we're talking to the Jew, not to seek out the face of Hashem. Seek out the, the face of my heart, the inner part of my heart, the innermost part of my heart. Which will bring about by bringing out the innermost part of my own heart, this will evoke, this will bring out the inner part of Hashem. This will lead me to search and to find the inner part of Hashem. By touching the inner part of my own heart, I will evoke the inner part of Hashem. That's why he concludes, your face, Hashem, I will search. Because the first half of the verse is not talking about Hashem. The first half of the verse is talking about me. My heart is telling me, seek me out. Seek out my innermost part. Don't get stuck on the surface and the external as most people do. Most people in general only get stuck on the externals and superficial and the surface. See, even the surface of the heart is wonderful and beautiful. It's heart. But don't get stuck on the external. Seek out the innermost part of the heart. And once you will seek out and find the innermost part of the heart, that will lead to as I will also search and seek and find the innermost part of Hashem. When you find the surface self, you touch the surface of Hashem. When you go deeper and you find the inner self, you also evoke a response. The innermost, you get a response from the innermost part of Hashem, the face of Hashem. That's what Al-Tarebi is, is explaining. However, if Panay does in fact refer to God's countenance and inwardness, why would it be necessary to conclude your countenance? Hashem, do I seek. Surely it would suffice to say, your countenance do I seek, since we have already been informed that we are speaking of Hashem's countenance. The Alter Rebbe, therefore, explains that the word Panay, my face, refers to the inwardness of the Jewish heart. Well, Panecha, your countenance, refer to the inwardness of Hashem. This means that man is being urged to seek the inwardness of the heart. The heart is speaking to man and telling him. That hidden element within his own heart that must be sought after it is to be revealed. The surface is what you see immediately. To go deeper, to find depth, you have to seek, you have to search. It's not obvious. You have to go deeper. You have to seek it out, search it out, to bring it out into the surface, to bring it out into the open. So that's what my heart is telling me. Don't, don't suffice. Don't think it's sufficient and don't be satisfied with just skimming the heart, touching the surface of the heart. Dig deeper and find and look for, search for. And you'll search and you'll find the innermost part of the heart. Bakshufanai, search out, seek out. And you'll find it. The inner part. The face, the inner part of the heart. And now he's going to explain. For in the flame of the element of the divine fire that is in the heart, within the soul's ardent love of Hashem, which derives from the element of fire within the soul, as mentioned in Tanya, part 1, chapter 3. A variant reading? For in the heart, the element of divine fire within the heart. So either it's in Hebrew, belahav, belahav means in the flame, or bahalev, in the heart. In the heart, 
which is where you find, you know, the philosophers talk about this world is made up of four basic elements, earth, energy, liquid, gas, and gas, air, water, liquid. So everything is composed of these four components. The animal soul, including spiritually speaking, and including and the godly soul. So where is the, the source, where is the place of the fire, of the energy? That's the heart. The heart is on fire, is inflamed. Place of water, of liquid, that's the brain. Pleasure, cerebral, calm, smooth, soothing, that's the nature of water. The heart is on fire, is inflamed. Excited, all stirred up. That's, that's the heart. That's the place. So he says, in the heart, in the flame of the godly fire, which is in the heart, that there are, are two levels. There are two aspects, the aspect of continuity, outwardness, externality, as opposed to essence, and the aspect of inwardness. The continuity of the heart is the ardent love that flares up on account of one understanding and knowledge of the greatness of God, the blessing, and so So the external part of the heart is the love, flaming love, which comes as a result of understanding and knowledge. First you have to learn, you have to study. Then you have to understand what you study. And then you have to know what you study, what you understand. It's called Chachma Bina and Das. You have to meditate, reflect on it, digest it, internalize it, get it till it clicks, till you really get it which will lead to an ardent love. Your heart becomes inflamed with a love for Hashem. So, a love that comes as a result of your conscious mind is limited, is external. Because the whole consciousness is external. It's, it's almost mechanical. It's, your mind forces you to pay attention. Your mind forces you to understand and to become aware and in a way it's almost like manufactured like we learned in the introduction of the second part of the Tanya which you can listen to in lessons in Tanya.com it's almost a manufactured love because it's external it's conscious it's based on your conscious understanding which is really external to the person although intellect is the closest we get to becoming unified with something. When you understand something, you become inseparable from it. But nevertheless, it's external to the person. So why does it say which results from meditation? Isn't meditation different from, from Kachma Bina Das? Meditation is Das. That's Das. That's Das. That's Das. That's the key. That's the link between the brain and the heart. It's the link. The Das. The meditation. Without that, you can know, you can be brilliant, you can understand, but it has no effect on your emotions. To get from brains to emotions, the link is das. So, even though you understand something, you understand it well, it's still external to the person. It doesn't touch you. There are people who are cerebral, who are brilliant. But how deeply does it affect them? The people who understand massive amounts of information. Brilliant minds. How much of it rubs off on their personality and their character? Zero. 
They could be little children, <laughs> immature. They could be heads without, a, without a hearts, without bodies, disembodied brains. And it, it, so all the understanding in the world is very superficial to the person. It's external. So the emotions which, he, which the intellect gives birth to is also external. Yes, your heart is on fire, and you're inflamed, and you're passionate, and you're excited, and you're thrilled, and you're, you're all stirred up. But where does it touch you? It touches you externally, superficially. Yes, you're on fire, you're inflamed, you're passionate. But it's very superficial. He's not saying it's false. He's not calling it false. No, you really feel, you feel love, you feel hatred, you feel attracted, you feel repulsed. But it's all very superficial. These are all external levels of love. These are loves and feelings which can, are easily identifiable, are easily defined. I love, I hate. You can easily describe it, define it, put it into words. Anything you can easily put into words is very superficial. Because it's all based on logical understanding, which is also logic, mathematical, understanding, a question, an answer, a concept, and something I can handle, I can grasp, I can... But ultimately, it's all external. It's all superficial. So does it really get to me? Does it really affect me internally? On the deepest level, the innermost level? No. So surface, on the surface, a person can be on fire and a person is all stirred up and a person is excited and passionate. It could be very impressive. But it's external. You know, the inner is something that's quiet. That's much deeper. It's something that touches you very deeply. When you care about something very deeply, you can see a person passionate about something, and he's excited. But how deeply does he care about that? He's animated, he's excited, he's talking about it, full with enthusiasm. But how deep does it go? Is it very deep or not? So there's the outer heart and there's the inner heart. It's two different worlds. You know, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, on his deathbed, he cried, and he said, I don't know which path they're leading me. After 120 years, if I'm going to go to the Garden of Eden, or God forbid, the opposite way. <laughs> the question is asked. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who led the Jewish people for 40 years, he was 120 years old, like Moses when he passed away, and he led the Jewish people like Moses for 40 years, and he led them, helped them survive the destruction of the temple and he preserved and saved the Jewish people and preserved the Torah and the rabbis and the, and the leaders if Yochanan ben Zakkai who is the pillar of the oral Torah he didn't know which path which direction he's going to have 120 years <laughs> then where, where does that leave us? then we know for sure where we're going <laughs> it's not even in doubt <laughs> What does that mean? How is that possible? I mean, Rabbi Yechon was not delusional. And he was crying. On your deathbed, you don't play games. I mean, this is for real. And Hasidus explains, because 
a person, our whole conscious self, is, is, it's very external. It's our persona, our public persona, our persona that we create. And we can be passionate about it, and we can live that persona, and we can get into it. And, but it's all surface. It's skin deep. It's the conscious level. The conscious level of the soul is the tip of the iceberg. Do I really know what's going on beneath the surface? Maybe scratch a little beneath the surface. Maybe I'm not really into it. Maybe I don't care about any of this. Maybe it's just an act. Not an act, he was faking it. But it's very external, very superficial. My innermost being, my innermost heart is not into it. I don't care deeply about it. It doesn't bother me. I don't lose sleep over it. It's, 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 I do my duty, I do my obligation. I can even do it enthusiastically. But that's all. It's a duty, it's an obligation. I'll do what I have to do. And even do it faithfully, and do it loyally, and do it enthusiastically. But it's a job, it's something that I do. That's it. I did my job, I go home, I go back to sleep. Does it bother me? Is it really my own? tell a story that the Chafetz uh, Chaim once there was a decree against Jews there were always decrees against Jews in Poland and, and Russia and, and they sent a delegation to the, cap, to the capital to try to nullify the decree and they came back with the bad news that all their efforts failed they tried and they couldn't make any headway and the Chavetz Chaim cried out, he says, Okay, fine. But did you faint? Did you chalish? They came home. Listen, we tried. We did our best. What was nothing we can do. Let's go back to sleep. That means it's all external, so superficial. You're doing your duty, even doing it enthusiastically, even doing it loyally and faithfully. But it's all superficial. Because if your heart was really into it, if you really cared personally, when you can't succeed, you faint. I can't do anything about it, but faint, drop dead, take it to heart. Otherwise, it's all superficial. That's the difference between a worker and a business person, a business owner. A worker does his job, he's faithful, he's loyal, he can even work 18 hours, but he closes the business, he closes his office, he goes home, forgets about the whole business. He sleeps like a baby. The owner can't sleep at night. He's dreaming the business, he's eating the business, when he's on vacation, his mind is... It's 24-7, he cares, it's personal, it's internal, it's not just superficial and external. That's also the difference of how you look at Yiddishkeit. If you hold Yiddishkeit as I'm a worker, I'm faithful, I'm loyal, I'm doing everything that's right, there's problems in the world, it's not my problem. Hashem will bring Mashiach, and it's His problem, I don't, it's not my business, I have to do my job, do it faithfully and honestly, and that's it. But if you take Yiddishkeit personally, then you take the initiative. 
Just like a business owner. A business owner doesn't wait till the customer comes to him. He goes out and he, he drives business and creates business and schemes, constantly plotting and scheming. How do I get the business out there and how do I get people's attention? How do I bring people into the store? And how do I get my people to buy my, to buy my things? You take initiative. That's the difference. If your Yiddish guy is external and superficial, you do what you have to and that's it. But if your Yiddish guy is the inner part of your heart, if it touches the inner part of your heart, then you take the initiative. You open Chabad houses. You don't wait till a Jew will come to you and call you and, and come to your house and come to your neighborhood in Brooklyn or Jerusalem. You go out there and you do whatever it takes to take the initiative to bring Yiddishkeit. That's the difference if you own your Yiddishkeit, if it touches you in the innermost part of your heart, or it's just a job. Not that the job you, 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 you are not doing faithfully. No, you do it faithfully. You're not doing it nonchalantly. You're doing it faithfully and loyally, even passionately. But as we call external, it's all external. It's all superficial. And that's what Rabbi Yochum was crying. Maybe my whole Yiddishkeit, my whole persona, I'm a holy person, I'm a saintly person, I'm a godly person, I'm a Jew. And my whole life is busy and engaged and occupied with Torah, studying Torah, teaching Torah. Maybe the whole thing is a surface. I don't know what's going on beneath the surface. Is this for real? Is it in my kishkes, in my guts? Do I care about it? Do I own it? Is it personal? Is it... So that's what he's saying. The heart is asking. The heart is pleading. The heart is talking to you. Please, seek out the inner. Don't be satisfied with the external. External, he describes here. External is not, nothing to sneeze at. What, what does he call here external? He's going to explain in a second. He's talking about someone who understands, who learns, who studies and understands and meditates and reflects. And based on that, he, he evokes a passionate love for Hashem in his heart. He can feel it in his heart. His heart is on fire. And yet, it's all external. Because it's a manufactured love. It's external. Easily identifiable, easily defined. It's the surface. He hasn't gotten beneath the surface. He hasn't gone beyond the letter of the law. He'll do whatever he has to. And do it well. And do it... But, where do we see this? We see this when a Jew cries out for Mashiach. Because what's missing, as he's going to explain later in the letter, what's, what's a Jew missing when Mashiach is not here? We have kosher restaurant. One day you can eat Chinese kosher, next day you can eat Japanese kosher, next day you can eat Korean kosher, there's such a thing. You can study Torah, you can do mitzvah, it's so convenient today. You can fly to Israel, you can... There's no, no hindrance, no obstacles. You can listen to the internet 24-6 and you can study so much. The opportunities we have today to live a Jewish life and to be a free Jew and to live as you... You know, this never happened before. It's, it's unprecedented. Why the urgency? What are you missing exactly? What's bugging you, what's nagging you, what's troubling you, what's not letting you sleep at night? I need Mashiach now. What if he comes tomorrow? What's so terrible? What exactly am I missing today? There's no pogroms, thank God. But what, 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 
what am I missing exactly? What's bothering me? That I'm so restless and I can't sleep at night. The only thing that's bothering me is because there's no godliness. There's no revelation of godliness. Godliness is hidden. Godliness is concealed. I don't see godliness. It's not as natural, as palpable to me as things that I see physically. Godliness is abstract for us. Even when my heart is on fire, my heart is inflamed, and I understand, and I meditate, and I... It's abstract. You're dealing with something abstract. That we're trying to understand, and trying to relate to, and trying to connect to, and trying to be enthusiastic about. And even if we succeed, it's still abstract. It's not the same, like actually experiencing it, and seeing it. And that's why a Jew cries himself to sleep, and that's why a Jew is upset, and he pours his heart, heart out to us. So when a Jew cries for Mashiach today, it's the ultimate expression of the inner part of the heart. And that's why that's one of the first questions that the soul is asked after 120 years. Did you wait for the coming of Mashiach? Did you yearn for the coming of Mashiach? Did you anticipate the coming of Mashiach? Unfortunately, many Jews over there, you have to answer the truth. <laughs> Nothing but the truth. There's, there's no other option will honestly say, no, I didn't even think about Mashiach. It didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> I was busy studying Torah. I was busy doing mitzvahs. I was busy visiting this. I was busy, busy with many holy and wonderful things. Glad kosher, everything, all my activities were glad kosher. And I did everything I was supposed to do, and I did it enthusiastically. But honestly... Did it bother me that Mashiach isn't here? Did I do anything about Mashiach? If I know that to bring Mashiach, the answer is a spreading the Tanya and spreading Hasidus, and this is the key, the gate, that Mashiach told Baal Shem Tev, when your teachings and wellsprings will spread throughout the whole world, am I doing everything in my power, taking the initiative, trying to communicate and to spread and to teach and to get the word out? It's not my obligation, it's not my business. I have, I have to carry the whole world on my shoulders. Whenever God will bring Mashiach, it's his business. I'm, I'm busy. I'm doing my duties. I'm doing what I have to do. This is one of the areas which immediately differentiates the men from the boys. <laughs> Are you for real or you're not for real? Is this all superficial? Not false, but superficial, external. Or did it really get to you? Did Hashem really get to you? Did it touch you in your kishkes, as they say? Your innermost heart, part of your heart. And if, it, if you care about it personally, and it touches you in your innermost being, then it's something you seek, and you search, and you're restless, and you can't rest until you experience it. You want to experience God. So that's what David HaMelech is saying. My heart is pleading with you. Search me out. Search out the innermost part of the heart. Firstly, realize that there is such a thing as an innermost part of the heart. That everything that you think you're on top of the world, firstly you have to realize you haven't even scratched the surface. You're just scratching the surface. Just the external part. There is a whole world underneath all of that. So firstly, even to know that, to realize that there is something more and beyond. 
most people are so taken by themselves that they think that uh, they've reached, they've reached, they've re- they reached the peak when they're not even scratching the surface, barely scratching the surface. So firstly, realize that there is a whole inner world that's hidden and concealed right beyond the surface. And seek it out. Search it out and find it. By meditating on His greatness and from this contemplation giving birth to a strong love resembling flashes of fire, this, then, is the chitzoniyut, the external level of the godly soul, a revealed love of God in one's heart, which results from meditation on God's greatness. He's not even getting into the details. There are many, many levels of love of Hashem, like we just learned in the first part of the Tanya. He's, all, he's including them all in this category. It doesn't matter. Any level of love, but it's a love that, that comes about as a result of your comprehension and understanding and logical and meditation, logic and meditation. All of this leads to a revealed level of love. And it can be a very high level of love, fiery love. But it's all revealed, it's all external, it's all superficial. Now you think you've arrived. You haven't even started. Barely it's just started. You know, you mastered one level, you realize there's 20 other levels behind it. You just, this, is just, this is just it's just a gateway. But there's something, a whole world beneath it and beyond it. And the pnimiyut of the heart is the innermost point of the heart, the depth of the heart, which transcends by far the categories of knowledge and understanding to which meditate in his heart on God's grace. So he's saying this is, there's a higher level, there's an inner level of the heart, which is the depth of the heart, which is way beyond the whole category of logic, and reason, and understanding, which could only, by definition, only touch the surface. All the logic in the world could only touch the surface. All the philosophy and the theology and the brilliance of the world could only touch the surface. Because logic is limited. As a modern physicist knows very well, science, logic, is very limited can only touch the most superficial aspect of reality. When you get to the deeper, innermost aspect of reality, the atomic level of reality, it's beyond logic, it's beyond... You're trying to describe something that's inherently infinite and beyond description. When you get to the quantum mechanics level of reality, it defies logic. When you get to the real inner core, the depth of reality... So logic and surf and reason is very limited. It could only touch the surface. And the emotions that are based on that could also are also revealed and external and superficial. But when you get to the innermost, the innermost depth, a level that's beyond logic, a level that's beyond logic, this touches the innermost part of the heart. And this is what he calls the level of chachmah. Chachma is a level that's beyond logic. It's the level of seeing, level of experiencing. And on that, on that level, like you can't compare seeing to hearing, experiencing to knowing, on that level, 
that's all engaging, all encompassing. That touches the essence of the person. And that goes straight to the heart, the depth of the heart. That evokes a response from the innermost part of your heart, from the innermost being, the depth of your being. An Aiden, man would never be able to achieve such a profound love through meditation alone. It is granted to the soul as a gift, as will soon be explained, and man's task is to search and discover it within himself. Logic is not a gift. Logic, you can force your mind. You can force your mind to understand something. I mean, you can force your, you can force your mind to concentrate, and once you understand something, you almost can't help but develop a feeling for it, if you develop an understanding and awareness, you can force your mind to understand. And you can think about things that you hate. You can understand your enemy. You can't love your enemy. But you can study your enemy, understand your enemy, understand them thoroughly, maybe even understand them better than he understands himself. And when you understand, it, it brings a level of awareness which leads to a, a sense of emotion. But that's something that you can force. But you can't force this inner, inner love. You can't force this inner sense. It's beyond, way beyond understanding. It's, it's, a, it's a certain feeling. It's almost more of a feeling than an understanding, a sense of something. Like when something clicks, it just fits right. It's just, it just an underlying assumption that just, you just sense it, and it fits, and it, fits, it feels right. This is not something you can force, impose. It's a gift, like an instinct. It's a gift. It comes from Hashem. Hashem gives us this gift. As it is written, from out of the depths do I call unto you, O God, i.e. from the depth of the heart. Depths appears in the plural, for the heart harbors depths, with yet profounder depths beyond. Bimamake means not only one depth, but from the many depths. Because there's depth within depth. There's the inners, and then there's the inner of the inner, and then you go deeper, and you go deeper, because there's no limit. There's no limit to the inner heart. You can go deeper and deeper, and even deeper yet. And what, what's considered the depth in relation to the external, is considered external in relation to, to yet an inner depth. So from my innermost depth, from the depth of my heart, do I call out to Hashem. And now he gives a human analogy. By way of analogy, there is a parallel in worldly matters. Sometimes there is an extremely important matter upon which a man's entire vitality hinges. It touches him as far as, and including the innermost point of his heart, causing him to do things and say things without any reason whatever, for it touches the essence of his soul that transcends logic and reason. So there's a huge difference if a person, let's say, is defending his position, his business position, negotiations, or a person is negotiating his life, a person is trying to defend his life. When a person is standing in court, and he could be sentenced to death, and he could be hanged, and he's pouring his heart out and he's trying to defend his life, it's a whole, different, a whole different awareness. It's a whole different level. A person would say things that do things that may sound crazy, but when it comes to defending your life, all logic goes out the window. 
Or it's like a soldier, when a soldier is standing in war and his life is hanging on a thread. The awareness, the intensity that the soldier has at that moment, he's so sharp and so aware of his surroundings. Everything is magnified a thousandfold because it's life and death. Your heart is working, your mind is working in a different dimension. It's not your normal, logical, rational mind. When your life is at stake, you're tapping into the, your subconscious, you're tapping into that hidden reservoir, inner strength. That's why people in danger are able to do things that normal people can't do. Their mothers were able to lift up cars that the strongest man in the world couldn't lift up because their baby was about to be crushed by that car, pinned under that car. And they found this Herculean strength. Because when something touches you so deeply, when your life is on the line, you could do crazy things. There are people in cases of fire that they were able to crawl out of bars, windows, bars, and later on they looked. There's no way they could fit through. And yet they were able to fit through. Their body just squeezed itself into. You're able to do Herculean, superhuman things because you reveal superhuman powers, strengths, when it affects you personally. And it affects your life. Your whole being is online. You get this, this strength, this adrenaline and this strength. That's, that it's beyond logic and beyond the ordinary surface and superficial persona and conscious self, which is our frame of reference that we usually operate in. We never get beyond it. We go through our whole life and we never get beyond our superficial self. Only scratching the surface. But there are moments... When your life is at stake, when your life is at the line, that, that, that the, you, everything is amplified a thousandfold. You're able to do things which are completely illogical, irrational. You do things which you wonder yourself, how would I do this? How, how did I do this? And Why did I do this? But when your life is on the line, you, you, you're operating on a different level. It's way beyond the normal, logical, logical way of working things. So that's a human analogy. And when something touches you so deeply... It touches your innermost heart, your inner heart. And it taps into your, to your inner subconscious and you, you're just operating a different dimension. One corresponds to the other. The spiritual realm corresponds to the physical. Just as worldly affairs sometimes touch a person so strongly that he acts without reason, it is precisely so with the service of the heart. A Jew's love for Hashem may be so great that it touches his soul's essence, which utterly transcends logic and reason. So when Hashem touches a Jew so deeply that your life depends on it, and your life is at stake, you do things which are beyond reason. One famous example is Hillel, the famous story of Hillel. Hillel was so poor, before he became the president of the Jewish Supreme Court, he was so poor, he used to work all day as a uh, woodchopper, I believe. He would earn... A trepic, a little amount, small amount of money. Half of it he would send to his house to feed his family, barely feed his family. And the other half he would pay tuition in the academy of Shmaya and Aftalian in Jerusalem. You had to pay your tuition. I guess there was no scholarships. So <laughs> anyway, one Friday he worked and worked and worked. And he only had enough money to send home to feed his family. So he shouldn't die. He'll have basic needs. 
Shabbos for the deed. And they, he didn't have any money left over for tuition. So they wouldn't let him in. Now the, the class, the lecture was Friday night. The main lecture was Friday night. Midnight, Shmaya Napoleon would teach Kabbalah. And it says that the Hillel wanted to hear the words of the living God, which refers to Kabbalah. And he was so desperate to hear the Shir, even though he didn't, couldn't pay his tuition before Shabbos, so they wouldn't let him in. What did he do? He climbed on the roof, went to the rooftop, the skylight, and he listened into the Shir. He was so absorbed in the lecture that he didn't notice in Jerusalem it snowed. You know, this year there had a major snowstorm. There had more snow in Jerusalem than we had here in New York this winter. And the, uh, it started snowing. And he was covered in snow. And then he passed out because the snow was totally covered in snow. He was buried in the snow. They studied all night. And they were waiting for the sun to rise, looking at the skylight, waiting for the sun. And they saw this. It's dark. They looked up. And they realized there's a person lying there. And they, they slept that hill and they barely revived him, saved his life. So this is an example of someone who cares. His Yiddishkeit was like, his life depended on it. It wasn't a question of obligation, not obligation. Climb on the rooftop on a Friday night. You can't pay your tuition. Go home and then... Where does it say you have to, you have to listen, you have to hear this lecture but he cared so deeply that he did insane things climbing on a rooftop buried on the snow almost lost his life this is insanity normal people don't act that way but his life depended on it his love for Hashem was so intense to him Yiddishkeit wasn't just something that you did did it well or even did it passionately and enthusiastically my life depended on it when your life depends on it you do crazy things there's no limits. You go all out. There's no boundaries. Mesidus Nefesh, you're ready to, you'll do crazy things. All, all the way. This comes from the inner heart. Just like a person physically, when your physical life is at stake, when it touches your whole life, not just if I'm going to be successful in business, I'll make the deal, I won't make the deal. A person gets very passionate. People, you see people get very passionate about things. People get passionate about games. You're going to win the chess game, you're going to lose the chess game, and they get all excited. Yes, they're excited, but how, how deeply does it bother them if they lose the game? What's the, what, at the end of the day, who cares? What's the big deal? And things, things are a little more important. People get passionate about their business. More important. But even if you lost the deal, it's not your life is at stake. You'll survive. It's not the first deal you lose. It's not the last deal you lose. Okay, you'll live. You'll survive. It's not... So even though you get excited, but deep down inside, you know, okay, relax. It's not the end of the world. But if your life is at the, on the line, your life is at stake, your family's life is at stake, you're passionate. There's no limit to that passion. You'll do things that are totally insane. You'll go all out. There's nothing you won't do. Same thing is, whatever is in this physical is also in the spiritual. So you can have a person, you come in shul, and he's making noise, and he's passionate, and he's davening with such fervor. But we're not sure how deep that fervor is. How long that fervor lasts. 
When he gets home, what happens? Maybe the whole passion dies down. He dives into that kugel, dives into that cheesecake, dives into that cholom. Not the, and and it's, all, it's all lost. That whole passion is out the window, lasted for a second and a half. Don't be fooled. It's external. Passionate, you're excited, it's, it's bubbling. But how deep, how deeply does it affect you? How much does it bother you? How real is it? How much did it really become you? But by Hillel, it was his life dependent. And he went all out. And he climbed on the roof and he almost lost his life. Like the famous the story of the Tzemach Tzedek, the grandson of the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe would say a Hasidic discourse and not everyone was allowed in. And the Tzemach Tzedek was very young, he was a boy, and he wasn't, the Alter Rebbe didn't let him in to hear the, but he really wanted to hear the discourse. So what did he do? He climbed in the fireplace to listen to the Hasidic discourse. He didn't realize in the meanwhile the, the shamish, the gabba, the shamish was taking care of the place. It, was, it got cold, so he decided he's going to light a fire. So he, he puts wood <laughs> and he starts lighting a fire. <laughs> he didn't know there's a person inside. Oh, which, is, oh, who, which, which crazy person who goes and climbs inside a fireplace? suddenly the whole place smokes up because it's not, it's not leaving, it's not going on the chimney because he's blocking the whole thing. And suddenly you see wood flying out. Like, oh, someone said he was fighting for his life. He kicked with his feet. He kicked the burning wood, kicked out. And he realized that there's someone there and they took out the wood and they schlepped him out and he was, he was fainted, he was half dead. He was, you know, annihilation, fire, smoke. And... Uh, when the Tamar Tzedeks, when his, his grandmother saw this, started saying, Oi, Gewalt, she turned to her husband, look what you've done. Because he didn't let him in, he wanted so much to hear Hasidus. He had to, he had to go into, and he almost lost his life. And what happened was the Rebbe came and he put his hand over him and he got up right away. So Alta Rebbe did not back down. Alta Rebbe told his wife, for Hasidus, you have to have Mesiris Nefesh. For Hasidus, you have to be ready to give up your life. Because otherwise, otherwise, this is called Divri Alakim Chaim, the words of the living God. Your life depends on it. Every word of Hasidus, every word of godliness, your life depends on it. And if you're not ready to do insane things and crazy things, in order to, do, to get it, then, then it's not for you. It's like without the Rebbe. It was, you know, in Lubavitch, in the olden the shtetls, there were many, many fires. Alter Rebbe was actually in Liadi. There were always fires, because the house was made of wood, and you know, there, was, there was no uh, uh, re- material that retarded the fire. You didn't have asbestos. There was one fire, one Shabbos candle, and half of the town was gone. And there were many, many famous fires, where, and so much was lost. That's the Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch. We only have a small fraction of Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch. So much of it was burnt. And in the later years of the Alter Rebbe, there was a huge fire. And there was one safer. It was very precious, the Alter Rebbe. It was all handwritten that he wrote. And it was burnt. So he called in his son, the second Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Mittler Rebbe, and he said, Tell me the truth, please. Did you copy this book 
Father, how can I copy the book? You wrote on the cover that whoever dares open this book is going to be excommunicated in this world and in the next world and for all, forever and ever. I wouldn't dare open it up. Father says, ah, what kind of chassid are you? <laughs> Where's your sacrifice for chassidus? You should have opened it and copied it and read it. I would have had the book that I, I'm too old. I, I don't have the strength to write it again. That's, <laughs> that's when, you, that's when you, this guy comes from the innermost part of your heart. It's not a question of rules and laws and calculations. If your life depends on it, you do things that are beyond letter of law. How much do you care? How much is it personal? Are you just going through the motions? You can be a good boy and a good girl, and you're doing everything right, and loyally and faithfully, enthusiastically, but it's all surface, it's all external. It hasn't touched you. It hasn't, it's not in your guts, it's not your kishka, it's not you, the real you, the inner you. It's, you're going through the motions enthusiastically, but it's all, it's bubbling, but it's all skin deep. Or is it that your life depends on it? That's not just ego mind. That's not just, that, that doesn't just come from rational mind, logical mind. If your whole Yiddishkeit is philosophy and theology and brilliance and intellect, and that's the sum total of your Yiddishkeit, you will never get to this level. The highest level you'll reach is surface, external, superficial. And that's what King David is saying. The heart is begging, please. Realize that there's a whole universe beneath that. Make sure Yiddish guys will touch your essence, touch your core. Hit home. Be for real. Be a real person. That's what the Chassid aspired. The whole Chassidus, especially Chassidus Chabad, was to reach the Pnimias, the inner. It should be genuine. It should be authentic. It should be for real. It should really touch you. You should own it. Take the initiative. Yiddishkeit should be your own. Do it with every fiber of your being and every bone in your body. Mesidus never, all out. Not with one hand hide behind your back. Without any reservation. Don't hold back. When you daven, daven 100%. When the Balshemtiv daven, before he daven, he would say goodbye to his family. He wasn't sure he was going to make it. Because when he said in the Shema, love Hashem with all your heart and all your soul and all your being, he, that's what he experienced. And he wasn't sure he's going he's gonna to make it home after the prayer. Whatever you do, do it 100%. That means it touches the innermost part of your heart. Now, this doesn't come, it's counterintuitive because we're not built that way. Our whole life is the conscious level, which is all very external and very superficial. Most people don't even know that there is anything beyond that. So after Rebbe, he brings a, a physical parable. We know when something touches our lives, our life is at stake, suddenly you realize the will to live is so intense, it's so powerful, so profound. It transcends logic, it transcends rhyme and reason and philosophy and theology. All of that means nothing. You, you, it's so powerful, it's so profound and so deep and so core, so core. And whatever is in the physical is also parallel in the spiritual. That there is a level within us where our connection to Hashem is so core and so essence and so profound and so powerful, our life depends on it. And then our inner heart is touched. As is known, this is because the innermost point 
of the heart transcends the faculty of reason which extends and invests itself in the emotive attributes, one of Chabad, i.e. born of the three intellectual stages, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, that together constitute the intellectual process called Chabad. So this is much, much, much higher from the level of Das. There's the external level of Das, and there's the higher level of Das. The level of Das, of conviction, meditation, reflection, that leads to emotions, to revealed emotions, external emotions, defined emotions, I love, I hate, external emotions. That level of Das is all part of the intellect. It's all the frame of reference of the intellect, which is external, the ego mind. But the level of the innermost heart is much higher, comes from a much, much deeper place, from a much deeper level of awareness, a core level of awareness, subconscious level of awareness, a much, much more profound level of awareness. Completely transcends the logical mind and the external rational mind. Rather, the humiliate of the heart is a radiation from the supreme partner, which transcends bina and doubt. So he says it's it's chachma. The essence of chachma is not just the origin of understanding, the spark, the eureka. Chachma is a different level. Chachma is experiencing. Chachma is seeing a sense, more of a feeling than an understanding. It's much deeper than just understanding. It's getting a feel for it, a sense. So Chachma is a different universe, a whole different category than the logical mind. And in this supreme Chachma, there's a vested and concealed the actual light of Hashem. As it is written, by wisdom, Chachma, Hashem founded the earth. The two quoted Hebrew words mean Hashem is of infinite light, is clothed in Chochmah. The verse itself says Hashem, with wisdom, founded the earth. But here he's saying Hashem b'chochmah. Hashem is found in Chochmah. The infinite light is found in Chochmah. The mind cannot grasp God. All the brilliance and all the philosophy and all the theology in the world cannot grasp God. But Chochmah is a vessel for God. Hashem is found in Chochmah. Because Chachma is more of an intuition, a, a sense, a, a, um, a sense of an underlying assumption that something just, just, it fits and we experience and we sense godliness. So Chachma is a vehicle for Hashem, for Hashem's infinite self. Because Chachma is a quality, as explained in chapter 18 in the first part of the Tanya, which you can listen to a lessons in Tanya.com, that Chachma is the quality of Bittl of not I, of being open to something that's beyond. And therefore, it's a vessel that could receive, it could sense the infinite, and it could see the infinite. So godliness is within Chachma. So every Jew has a sense, an instinct for godliness. We respond to godliness. We have an instinct for godliness. It, it makes sense to us. Even if we don't fully understand it, logically and philosophically, it just clicks with us. It resonates within us. We respond to it. Every Jew responds to it. Could you explain it logically? Why a Jew dances like a madman in some Kastara? But we just respond to godliness. A person looking on the side, the whole thing looks very strange. 
a normal adult, a very brilliant mind, and he's jumping up and down like a chicken up and down. It's not, why is a, why is a person, why are you getting so excited and holding a Torah? But a Jew has an instinct. We respond to godly things. It resonates within us. It makes us cry. It makes us laugh. It makes us dance. We are inspired by godly things. When a Jew hears a miracle, he's all inspired. Someone who doesn't have this godly spark remains cold and indifferent. He hears a miracle, so, so what? Doesn't, doesn't respond to it. A Jew, naturally, instinctively, when you hear a miracle, you get all excited. Your heart warms up. We just respond to it. It's because of this, of this godly spark that we have. Okay, continue. And this is... And this is precisely the spark of divinity in every soul of Israel. It is this divine spark, utterly transcending reason, that gives birth to the love of Hashem and the nimiyut of the heart that likewise transcends all reason. A question arises. Since this love emanates from the divine spark found within the soul of all Jews, why do they not all attain this level of divine service? Okay, so that's the question. We'll remain with this question. We'll continue the next week with this question. But he finished. He says, this is the pintle year. This is what we call the godly spark that every Jew contains, every Jew has. But it's the innermost. It's the core, the essence of the Jew. It's the innermost. But this is the chachma, the wisdom that we have, this instinct that every Jew has, this feeling, this sense, this underlying assumption that we have that just it resonates within us. It makes sense to us. Even if we don't fully understand it logically and philosophically and theologically, it just makes sense to us. We respond to it. We're inspired by it. And this chachma, this spark of the pintle, this godly spark, leapfrogs over the external logical mind and it goes straight, like a depth charge, goes straight to the innermost part of our heart. Where does it reside in the innermost part of our heart? That's why a Jew's connection to Hashem is infinite. It, it, it's, it knows no bounds, it knows no limits. That's why, as he explained in the first part of the Tanya, a Jew, even a Jew who has indulged his whole life in materialism and hasn't particularly led, hasn't led a particularly godly life, but in the moment of truth, push comes to shove, that Jew is ready to give up his life it like melts away. All those 40 years of crassness, of coarseness, of materialism, of ego, just like melts away like the strings on Shimshon, the mighty one, just melted away and all of a sudden came roaring like a lion and that strength remains intact. That strength remains whole. Every Jew has it, whether he's aware of it or not. In the moments of truth, it just bursts out into the open and just takes over the whole person so much so that he's ready completely give up his life for Hashem without any reservation, without any hesitation without any contemplation doesn't need any contemplation it's just such a profound and powerful connection so this is the level of Chach but this is something that Hashem gives us it's not something that we accomplish on our own through our understanding through our learning, through our studies through our brilliance, through our mind through our meditation this is a level that Hashem gave us, a level of Chachma, a level of Hashem that's found in Chachma, the spark, this godly spark that every one of us can, has and is located at the very center of our being. Comments, thoughts? But we can't get there without the learning and everything else, huh? What is it? He's going to explain how, how do we get there? What do we have to do to get there? How do you know when you're there? 
You know, it's like, how, how can someone say, how do you explain beauty? You can't explain it, but when you see it, you know it. <laughs> when you're there, you know it. When your heart, when your inner heart is, you feel that connection, it's so profound, and it's so real, and it's so genuine, and from your kishkas, your whole being, every fiber of your being, every bone in your body, you know. But you said Yochanan ben Zakai didn't know. Because when we go about our regular lives, we go about with our persona, religious persona, and we can do everything right for 120 years and 24-7. But the question he asked is, maybe it's all external, maybe it's all superficial. How do I know what's going on deep down inside? And Rabbi Yochum ben Zakeh was crying. So, at least this tells us, firstly it tells us there's no room for arrogance. People think so much of themselves. They think that they're, they're, they're already catching angels. They're already on top of a spiritual Mount Everest. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakeh was crying. He doesn't know where you are. We know where you are. <laughs> and people think the rabbi, the Rosh Hashiva, is already uh, the holiest, the greatest. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakeh was crying. Where is this rabbi in Rosh Hashiva going? In other words, we, can't, we get caught up with externals. The whole world is external. But imagine a person, his whole life he lives externally. And that's his whole universe. It, it's a crying shame. You're living in such delusions. You don't even know that there's anything beyond this superficial construct that you created. You don't even know that there is something beyond. So you don't even have a yardstick. You can't even measure. You, you don't even know enough to cry. Instead of walking around so smug and content and satisfied and puffed up and looking down at another Jew and I'm holier than thou and I'm so here and I'm the best and the greatest. You're the best and the greatest. You should be crying. Because that's how superficial you are. And the fact that you think you're the best and the greatest just confirms, is a nail on the coffin, that we know exactly which direction you're going. <laughs> at least when you're crying... When you're crying, you know, it's a real person. The fact that Yochanan Mazaki was crying already answered the question. If it bothered him, it means he was in a good place. <laughs> if you're crying, if it bothers you to the extent that you're crying, because an external person will say, listen, I did everything I could. I'm the best. There's nothing more. You can't, in the court of law, you can't make any demands. I did everything you asked of me to do. In the court of law, I'm perfect. Very nice. But the fact that he was crying means he wasn't interested in court of laws, of external, superficial. He wanted to know the emiss. Where am I really at? What's really going on? If you're crying, we already have the answer. You're in a good place. But if you're not crying, and instead you're arrogant, and holier than thou, and superior, and you look down at another Jew, and you're so proud of yourself, and smug, and content, and happy with yourself, you're already in hell. <laughs> We know which direction. You're so clueless. At least when you learn this chapter in Tatnia, you know that there is such a thing as internal and external, and you realize how inadequate and how lacking and how limited the external is. And we're talking about an, an external that's perfect, an external that's doing everything that's right. It's doing everything enthusiastically with a love, with a fiery love, with an understanding and an awareness and a meditation. And he says it's all external and superficial. Wow. <laughs> what a wake-up call. That's what David HaMelech is saying. And that's what we say, We say it all these days from Rosh Chodesh Elul. 
for 61 days, we keep on saying it twice a day. Don't be superficial. Be for real, be genuine, be authentic. If not now, Elul, Rosh Hashanah, 10 days of Tshuva, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. When else? So this takes us, at least, at least you have a frame of reference, at least you even know that there is such a thing as... And imagine if you don't never study Tanya in your life. Imagine you never study Hasidus in your life. You're so clueless that you want to cry because it's a tragedy. When a person is so clueless, is so far off the mark, then you really want to cry. It's a tragedy. A person is religious and he's studying Torah, and yet he's so clueless. Doesn't even doesn't even doesn't even have a clue. That's the saddest of all. That truly is the saddest, deepest, darkest exile of all. Not the non-religious Jew. He doesn't know from anything. But a Jew who's already studying Torah and is doing mitzvah. And yet, he's clueless. That's, that's almost unbearable. That darkness, that smugness, that arrogance is almost unbearable to take. Because he's so clueless. It's, it's not even... To be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.